Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Now, if we could turn our minds and our hearts to God's Word, our scripture reading today comes uh, from Luke 10, uh, verses 38 through 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset by many things, about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Well, welcome to our fall sermon series. We're calling it Unsubscribe. The idea for this sermon series came to me. I was on a, on, in a car with a friend of mine, and he pulled out his phone because he's a very safe driver. And um, when I was looking at his phone, we had very identical-looking phones other than this. So, you know, the little uh, icon for your email, uh, there is a number that was floating above that icon that was incredibly high. Now, I think of myself as like a laid-back person, but when I saw that he had hundreds of unread emails, it just sent me into a panic attack. I, um, I think I'm laid back until moments like this. Uh, then I found out that there are many people like him, many people that could be sitting right next to you right now who choose to live like this. And you know who you are. So I, I thought that we would begin by playing a little game. If you would, if you have your phone, pull it out. And if you're like hyper-spiritual and you left it in your car, good for you. But if you have your phone, pull it out. And uh, let's have everyone open that thing up and show your neighbor what your number is. All right? Show your neighbor what that number is. Okay, I want everybody with their phones now to stand up. Go ahead and stand up if you have your phone with you. All right, if your number... If your number is less than five, go ahead and sit down. Less than five. Hey, good for you, type A people. All right. Okay. If your number is less than 20, sit down. Nice. If your number is less than 50, sit down. Oh, my gosh. Okay. See, right, right now is when I'm starting to sweat. If your number is less than 100, sit down. If your number is less than 200, sit down. Look around at these freaks of nature. Okay, if your number is less than 400, sit down. If your number is less than 800, sit down. If your number is less than 1,000, sit down. What are you doing? If your number is less than... If your number is less than 2,000, sit down. Oh, my God. What's the point? All right, what's your number? 14,000? Why? Can anyone beat 14,000? Okay, what you got back there? Seriously, 100,000? What's, what's your number? 
Come up here. Come on up here. Please, come on up here. Come on up here. At some point, you just need to shut it down. Is that Sabrina? Yeah. Yeah, you're fine now. You have how many? 189,318. How did, how did life end up like this? At some point, don't you think you should just shut it down and just start over? Like, go back to AOL if you need to. Okay, it's Yahoo. It's Yahoo. I, ha I have a gift for you. I have a gift for you. Um, it's my it's spam. I thought it was suited. There you go. Congrats, congrats on that. Oh my gosh. Ugh. That just stresses me out. It just stresses me out. Congratulations. Congratulations. Well, I don't know how there's so many people that choose to live like this, uh, but we, we kind of know how and why. You know, you, you go to some restaurant and you sign up for something or you sign up for a newsletter somewhere and you're like, oh, I'll, I'll read it, don't worry. And then they start piling in. And then you think to yourself, maybe I'll unsubscribe, but it's a lot easier just to delete it or just, you know, skip over it. Just do this. As if, like, unsubscribing is that hard. That's it. That's all you would have to do. But that's, I guess, too much work. And then slowly our inbox has become bloated. It's inundated with all these messages that we really don't want. And the problem is, is that sometimes, sometimes messages you actually do want that are meaningful, that are important, gets lost in all the clutter. And this, for me, is a picture of many of our lives, many of our souls, the condition of our souls. We, we have messages that are deeply important for the sake of our, our life, our well-being, but because of the bloated nature of our life today, because of all the noise, we miss out on it, and our lives become distracted. We need to learn to unsubscribe. And unfortunately, unsubscribing for those forces in our life is a lot harder than doing this. Like unsubscribing from a lot of the forces that pull us away from uh, the life that we know we were created to live actually take incredible intention, discipline, different perspective even. It makes me think of a proverb, an ancient wisdom saying from our scripture, Proverbs 4.23 says this, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. This wisdom saying from our scripture is saying that all of life flows from our heart. It's like the biblical idea of the very center of who you are. And all of your life flows through this. Your well-being, everything flows through the center of your being, your heart, your soul. And so for, if that's the case, then above all else, we need to learn to guard our heart, to protect it to take notice of the messages and the habits and the influences that are affecting the state of our heart. Why? Everything flows from it. And this series is intended for us to kind of just slow down and consider what are the habits and the influences that are affecting our, our hearts? And what are the things from which we need to unsubscribe? So how should we start this conversation? What are, what are the habits that we need to consider? I want to begin by talking just about this, the nature of the hurried life. 
about the hurried life. In 1967, experts on time management, 1967, remember, uh, they delivered a report to the U.S. Senate. These experts believe that there was an emerging problem. The problem was this, that the, with the speed of technology, with satellites and robotics, that they would present a huge problem in the American workplace in the years to come. And here's the problem. People would have too much free time. Here's what they concluded. By 1985, people might have to choose between working 22 hours a week and 27 uh, 27 hours a week, usually retiring at the age of 38. Here we are, 50 years later from that original report, and we are moving faster than ever. We seem to be addicted to speed, obsessed with efficiency. This addiction now actually has a name. It's called hurry sickness. Hurry sickness. And hurry sickness is defined as a continuous struggle to accomplish more things and participate in more events in less time, frequently in the face of opposition, real or imagined, from other people. This is fueling a hurried, frantic life. And we are living in a culture that has a general and vague sense of urgency with time. With all of our time-saving productive machines and gadgets, we seem to be more discontent now than ever before. This is more than just an emotional or a mental problem, a mental issue. This is a soul issue. And we must guard our hearts from the affliction of the hurried life. Dallas Willard, he was a Christian philosopher and an author who passed away, uh, I think this past year. He said this, Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry in your life. So this is like a deep thinker, like one of the greatest minds uh, that we've had in this, this last generation. And out of all the different things he could have pointed out to be um, unhealthy for the soul of the Christian, he says, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life today. We must learn to ruthlessly eliminate hurry, or we might say right here and right now, we need to learn to unsubscribe from that frantic pace in our life. How do we know that this is a problem? Well, in a day and a time where we have not learned to stop and rest, in a day and a time we haven't learned how to exist in a different rhythm, guess what becomes our rest? Sickness. You know how this is, like when you're running so hard that the only rest you seem to get is when your body declares a, a shutdown. <laughs> this is not working anymore. Or we so run so hard to this idea of we're going to rest in some vacation that we're going to take. So you finally get there in the first day, your body's so exhausted, you spend it just camped out in your hotel room trying to catch up. Our bodies are declaring that this is not natural. This is not how life was meant to be. Eugene Peterson, he said this, hurry is a form of violence practiced on time. It's almost like an oppressive abuse of time to try to put more and more in it. The way we are treating this type of lifestyle is unnatural. And the victims are not only time, it's also our souls. It's our relationships, it's our homes, it's our community. And we need to discover this, that Perhaps for especially this generation, 
A full and flourishing life is available not by speeding up or being more efficient, but actually by slowing down, by learning a different pace. And I just, like, I just wish that Jesus would have demonstrated this. You know, I just wish that Jesus would have talked about this. Actually, he did over and over again. If there was anyone that should have been tempted to run at a frantic pace, wouldn't it have been the Savior of the world, Jesus? Only here for 33 years. Only here for 33 years. And out of that, he only had three years of public ministry. So just think, the Savior of the world is here for three years to make the maximum impact as possible, the most, uh, the most difference as possible. And we should then look at how Jesus spent his time. And this isn't like an obvious comment, but I would have been an awful Savior of the world. It would have been bad. Why? Because I would have felt the weight of every moment to heal every sickness, to provide for every need, running from place to place, one more sermon, one more healing, and I'm also a recovering people pleaser. And so, hey, Jesus, would you mind doing this? You, you got it. I'm your guy. You know, just running from place to place. I would have ran, ran myself ragged, and I would have relished the praise of people, being all things to all people in all places. That would have been my motto. Yet if you read the gospel, you will find that Jesus existed in a totally different pace. He lived in an unhurried rhythm. And he would be found frequently, he would sneak off to be with his father, to spend time in the desolate places where he was alone. Oftentimes they wouldn't even know where Jesus was. Where did he go? He like was a great like escape artist. And he wasn't tempted to please all people, to do all things. But instead, Jesus lived with this unhurried pace. And if you'll notice something in the Gospels, if you have studied the life of Jesus, what you'll see is that Jesus lived an interruptible life. He was highly interruptible. And so many of the stories that we have in the Gospels are actually Jesus being interrupted, where he was going from one place to another and someone stopped him. I don't know about you, but when I have an agenda, I don't get stopped, you know? I might microwave a conversation here or there, but I, I, got, I got a place to go. But Jesus, he lived in this unhurried, interruptible way. I often think that Jesus had the ministry of interruptions. And Jesus attempted, I think, to teach his disciples who were watching how Jesus lived. He was attempting to teach his followers that this is how the kingdom breaks into this world. The Bible tells a story about a time we read in our scripture reading a second ago, uh, about a time where Jesus went to the home of some dear friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And this was at a time where hospitality was of utmost importance. And Jesus was the special guest at this gathering, at this home. But while he was there, sibling conflict broke out. We read this in Luke 10. Jesus came to a village where a woman named Martha had opened up her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat down at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted. Notice that we're distracted, marking the culture that we are living in, distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sisters left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And then Jesus responded, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. 
Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Now that college football season's back, I'm going to be quoting Scripture to my wife, Jen. Jen, Jen, one thing is needed. The A&M football team is playing. I must be here to watch them fall apart, needing another quarterback. I mean, let's be honest, like, who really doesn't like this story? <laughs> like, I really don't like this story. Why? Because someone's got to do the work. Someone has to take care of the details. I mean, how is a guest really honored by an awkward evening without food and preparations, with clutter? No. A guest is honored by having things prepared and served. We can't just all sit at Jesus' feet. Can all the type A people say amen? Right? But Jesus was looking for something else to honor him. Martha thought it was in service. That would be the one thing that would honor Jesus. But Jesus is saying he's honored by something else. And Mary chose what is better. It's not that service is bad, but Mary's chosen what is better. The one thing which was to sit at Jesus' feet. And just so we know, like this is not a picture of a subservient woman who was like sitting at Jesus' feet. But this is actually kind of countercultural in the fact that this was the posture of, of a student to a rabbi, a teacher. So Mary is actually sitting as a disciple, as a student uh, before Jesus, like the other men would have, learning from the teacher. Maybe that was also fueling Martha's contempt here. Mary wanted to be with Jesus and to learn from him. And that is the one thing that is the most important. Do we actually think that that's the one thing that's most important, is to be with Jesus and learn from Jesus, to sit at Jesus' feet, to see all the different distractions and the things to do as just noise, and the most important thing is to be with Christ. Is that what your lifestyle is saying? Even if you believe it, is that what your lifestyle is saying? I know it's not what my life is saying, Many followers of Jesus need to know that God is not impressed by a frantic service or exhaustion. Feeling burned out is not a badge of honor in God's kingdom. It's not a badge of honor for faithfulness. I truly believe that Jesus is wanting to teach our generation this lesson because we live in a world that values Martha's uh, values of productivity over presence, doing over being. Don't get me wrong, our service is important. Uh, oftentimes our scriptures will say that if you want to have faith, show, me, like, show it in your deeds. Like, our service is important, but it's not the one thing. It's not the one thing that's most important. Being with Jesus in an unhurried, undistracted pace, a pace that allows the presence of Jesus is the most important thing in our life. Jesus said these beautiful words in Matthew 11. Matthew 11, 28 29 and 30, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. As we kick off the fall, I just know that we start, man, that motor starts going, and already one week into it for many of us, we are weary and burdened. And Jesus says, I will, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. 
For the exhausted and tired, there is good news that Jesus makes this invitation. Come to me, all you who are fatigued, all you who are already weary and burdened, come to me, unsubscribe from the pace of this world and receive rest. If you actually look at the actual original language, the verb of receive rest is Jesus saying, I'm going to rest you. This is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to rest you. But then Jesus says something surprising. Take my yoke and put it on you, upon you. This idea of a yoke is what in that day you would put upon livestock to drive them, to direct them. For people who are weary and tired, doesn't that sound like the last thing you want? (laughs) To be treated like that? I uh, (laughs) I love just thinking about that. The yoke is the gift for the tired. It seems like it's really uh, just foolishness to me. But then you understand what Jesus is saying. I love what uh, biblical scholar David uh, Bruner, he said. He said this long quote, so just stick with me. A yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least. They, offer, they need a mattress or a vacation. Amen. Not a yoke. But Jesus realized that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. It's not about escaping the world. It's actually learning how to be in the world differently. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering uh, escape, Jesus offers equipment. Jesus means that obedience to his Sermon on the Mount, his yoke, will develop in us a balance and a way of carrying life that will give more rest in the way we have been living. We need to put on a yoke, not so that Jesus can drive us harder, but so that we can learn to follow Jesus at Jesus' pace in his way of living. So we can go when it's time to go. So we can stop when it's time to stop. Many of us are longing to experience the life that Jesus promises in his word, but we aren't willing to follow Jesus' lifestyle. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, enter into his lifestyle. Follow Jesus. Put on his yoke. Unsubscribe from the way of this world. This makes me think of the psalmist's words in Psalm 23, 1 through 3. Just think about this, this idea of yoke. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He restores my soul. That this is what the yoke is going to do. The yoke is going to make us lie down in green pastures. It's like going to say, okay, it's time to stop. Rest. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. When we call Jesus our Savior, what that means is that Jesus is not only the Savior, but he's also the shepherd of my life. Therefore, our lives are led by Jesus and by his priorities and in his pace. And the problem for many of us Christians, me included, is that we are being driven by the way of this world, and we think to follow Jesus means that we have to put the way of Jesus on top of the way of this world. So we're running just as hard as anyone else, but then we just feel guilty because I guess we need to be a part of a small group. 
or we need to be a part of a serve team, or we need to go serve our neighbor, or be involved in some nonprofit, and all these things are good, but we haven't actually offloaded anything. We've just added on to the way of this world, the, also the way of Jesus. I, I also need to have 15 minutes of quiet in my morning. Oh, God, I wish I could do that more and more. In the reality, wonder if, I just wonder if, to follow Jesus and to put on his yoke is also to take off the frantic pace of this world to offload the way of this world and learn an unforced rhythm of grace in our life where we aren't worried and distracted by many things. I think following Jesus might mean that we need to learn to say no more, not adding on more and more. And I, like something that's really important for this conversation is we need to learn what's driving our busyness, what's driving our frantic pace. Are we treating our occupation like it's the reason why we live? Are we treating our promotion as the end goal for our life or ultimate goal for our life? Maybe following Jesus means that we pick one hobby or sport for our kid so that we can make more space that we actually have dinners together. We think that the following way of Jesus might mean that we have to add more must-dos in our life when in fact it might be the commandment to simplify your life. Learn to lie down in green pastures. Learn what it's like to be led by quiet waters. Maybe that's what Jesus would want us to do in following him. To unsubscribe from the things that are running our days. So, whatever is driving the pace in your life, that is your master. That is the master. Not Jesus, but that is the master. You're following that. So, all right, let's just get a little practical as we uh, start landing the plane here. What is most of our responses to this idea of slowing down? What is your response to it? Let me, let me hear it. Yes? What else? Amen? How? It'll last a week. Right. It'll last a week. Yeah. I also, if I think if I were sitting in that seat, I'd go, uh, you don't know my life, Right? You don't know what's driving my days. I wish I could slow down, right? I know that we come to this conversation with excuses in, in our back pockets ready to, to pull them out, right? Uh, I have them too. Like, I, I have three kids. I'm trying to take care of my physical health, as you guys can tell. Uh, I'm taking a class right now. You, you might not know that. I'm also pastoring a church. You. Like, you are my excuse. I use you guys as an excuse for so many things. You have no clue. Oh, all the time I use you. Uh, but all right, let's just set aside those excuses just for a second. What if to unsubscribe from a hurried life doesn't mean that we don't have a full life? There's a difference between having a full life and a frantic and hurried life. We can have fullness in our life without living at a frantic pace, where we can live in a full life while being interruptible, while being present. This is the the yoke, I believe, that Christ wants you and I to put on today. And so and there's a lot of different ways for us to practice this, but I just want to give us one specific practice for us to put on, like a yoke to put on in our life. And the practice is the Sabbath. The Hebrew word where we get the idea of Sabbath is this word Shabbat, and it literally means to stop. That Sabbath is a day where we stop. It's a time that where we stop. Really deep, right? Really spiritual. Just stop. But we know that stopping is actually really, really hard. Stopping can feel painful. 
Why? Because when we stop, the rest of the world keeps going. It just keeps moving on. Coworkers are still working. They're still getting ahead. People are whittling down their to-do lists. Things are happening in the world, but you have stopped. But that pain of doing nothing while the rest of the world is moving on, that pain is that of recentering your heart, of guarding your heart for what really matters. That our worth is not valued on our accumulation, on our productivity, or our popularity, or approval. Our value is given to us by God out of grace that we are seen and loved not by what we produce, but us being declared as God's children. A pastor from a generation ago named A.W. Tozer, he once wrote this, It will cost something to walk slow in the parade of the ages. It'll cost you something to learn to stop, to be at a slower pace. While excited men of time rush about, listen to this, I love this, confusing motion with progress. Isn't that good? But it will pay in the long run. That's what we care about, right? We care about the long run. And the true Christian is not much interested in anything short of that. To learn to stop will cost us something. But while the rest of this world might confuse uh, motion with progress, we have our eyes set on a different goal. We need to learn to stop. And once we learn to stop, another world is opened up. Because once you stop, then you can rest. That's the second part for me when I think about Sabbath. I think it's a day to rest. Resting is a spiritual practice. A hammock, a nap, listening to an actual full album of your favorite band can be a spiritual endeavor. There's a spiritual component to resting. is because once you've stopped by faith, you believe that God loves you not by what you produce or accomplish, but just simply being a child of God, loved by Jesus. This is not earned or accumulated. It's by God's grace that we have received this, that you are God's beloved. And it's in resting that you remember that. Therefore, we rest in that truth with faith. We rest so that our bodies and our souls can be cared for. And after we have learned to stop and rest, then we can actually do what my favorite thing in Sabbath is, is to delight. We get to delight on Sabbath. After we have stopped and after we have rested, after we have unsubscribed from the hurry of this world, we then get back to work. No. <laughs> we then have now capacity in our hearts to delight. To delight in God and God's Word. To have time to actually, unhurried time to be with God. To enjoy the good relationships that God's given us in this life. To, to relish in that. To delight in the simple joys of life. To walk barefoot in the grass and remember how that feels. The Sabbath is not some wooden, ancient, joyless practice. It is a gift for your soul. So I, I want to just share a little bit about my life. Uh, my practice of Sabbath, not because I'm a perfect model, but because maybe my, my life's example will trigger what it could look like in your life. So Friday is my day off. Friday is my Sabbath. So on Friday, I shut down the machines that are running my life, primarily my computer, and I don't check social media uh, or, or email. Why? Because I struggle with it. I'm like a compulsively check it. So on my Sabbath, that machine's taken down. It's shut down. Um, and I need to shake off that yoke. And then, in the morning, I wake up. I have about three cups of coffee. I like to drink coffee until I get the jitters. And then I use my favorite mug, and I wear my favorite pajama pants. 
I'm wearing a shirt too. I just don't have a favorite shirt. Um, so I'm, that's my rhythm. Friday morning, just hanging out. Um, and then starting this past week, it was awesome. We actually have all three kids in some sort of preschool. Oh, it's fantastic. And so we actually have now, we have day dates. Jen and I, we have day dates. So you'll actually find us having brunch somewhere while all you suckers work. Uh, I mean, guys, the upside-down pineapple pancake at Snooze, unbelievable. That was my Sabbath practice this past Friday. Uh, so after that, the kids come home. We, I like to make a memory on, on the Sabbath, so we try to do something out of the ordinary with the kids, uh, likely some fun activity. And then that night, we have family movie night, and we eat lots of ice cream. And all of that's spiritual. All of that's spiritual. That's the practice of, of Sabbath. And that's just me sharing my example from my life because that's just what kind of our rhythm is. And I, for you, if you don't have the practice of Sabbath, I would just encourage you uh, to begin where you are. To begin where you are, even if it's like a couple hours on one evening, to start there. If it's a, you know, it's a morning on the weekend, start there. If it's, if it, you know, if it's just an hour, you can just begin with that one hour where you just learn to unplug. On my Sabbath, you also find me walking around the backyard or taking a short walk, praying with God, reviewing my week, wondering what God was up to, making space just to be with God, reminding me that I'm God's beloved and that life is an incredible gift. And at the end of the Sabbath, I have practiced unsubscribing from this world. My, my challenge for us as a church, for each of us, is to, to unsubscribe from this hurried pace of life, and to try to experiment with Sabbath, uh, wherever you are, however, however much time you can. Because remember Jesus' loving words to Martha, that there is more to life than the distractions that can easily surround us, that there's actually one thing that's truly needed in our life, and that's, that's to be with God. God doesn't want to use you as a means of production. God wants to be with you and you to be with God the source of your strength, the place of your renewal, that is actually how you guard your heart, is you learn to say yes to something more powerful, more true, more beautiful. And that will not be taken away from you.